You are listening to the AOTA podcast. Here is your host, Matt Brandenburg. On today's episode, we're joined by Allison and Arame, the new AOTA president and vice president. And I want to thank you both so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having us, Matt. I think we're excited. Absolutely. It's this is this is gonna be fun. This is my first joint podcast, really, and it's gonna be awesome because we get to do it with Allison and you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this for a while now. Um, and I hope everyone was able to attend AOTA Inspire and get to know you both a little bit there. But I know for me personally, I want to learn more about you both. Um, So to start out, I wanted to ask, how did you really discover occupational therapy and what led you to your specialty area of practice? Allison, you want to hit it first or? Go for it, Arame. You go first. Oh, Allison. See, look at the starting. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, You know, OT, I was the person who I was going to be a neurosurgeon and I was going to be this cool neurosurgeon. And I was in my pre-med courses and we had this amazing, amazing individual who is still faculty at USC. But she, um, Kim Morris was her name, and she recruit. She she came into my organic chemistry class, and she talked about this thing called occupational therapy. I was a sophomore going into being a junior in undergrad, and I would have missed the opportunity of knowing what occupational therapy was. She talked about this incredible profession that where you can get a doctorate. I think the OTD was just starting. I'm going, I'm, I'm going to backtrack. I'm like talking about 2002, 2003, okay? I'm, I'm aging myself here. But, but yeah, so I then took a class. I was like, well, this sounds really interesting. I'm going to take a class. And I took another class and another class and another class to where I questioned myself, like, am I in love with OT? And I was in so much denial. I was like, oh, I'm still going to go to medical school. I'm still going to, I'm still going to be a neurosurgeon until I really realized that the piece that I was falling in love with is this opportunity to really be a part of your, the individual your clients' lives and to really make a really incredible impact that's not just at surgery, but to see the after, like after the fact, you know, their progress. It was such a humbling experience um, and still is to this day. And, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that she came into our, our class. And I'm telling you, she was so incredible because I think like six or seven people became OTs from that one visit. <laughs> So that, that's how I kind of discovered OT and what led to my area of practice. You know, initially, I, I, my first job was in pediatrics and, you know, any, anything that right now I'm in academia, but anything that I do is really me saying yes to opportunity and being intentional about the change I want to see. So, I mean, pediatrics, my first job was still in like neurology piece of it, like the neuro piece. So I was still getting that passion of neurology, but it was with the kiddos. And, you know, from there on, my career kind of just had its own story and journey. But I don't want to take up too long because Allison has just an amazing, as amazing experience. And I'm going to let her chime in about how, how she discovered OT. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Arame. And at Allison, same question to you. Yes. Thank you, Arame. I loved hearing that. Um, I don't think I knew that about you. Um, 
So my introduction to occupational therapy started when I was pretty young. I am from your very traditional Pittsburgh family, and that means that um, we all are too involved in each other's lives and not just like your nuclear family that lives with you, like your whole family. So um, when I was 10, I had a cousin who experienced a traumatic brain injury. Uh, she was four. And we all were a part of the experience of, of her injury as well as her recovery. And um, being one of the cousins that got to go to a lot of her appointments, um, I really fell in love with occupational therapy because it was the profession that we got to practice playing Uno and um, shoots and ladders. And I loved that it was the profession that our homework was to take her back to the park and make sure she could swing again. Um, and do all the things that I knew Robin loved doing and couldn't do after um, she got out of the hospital. And so I was pretty young when I decided um, this is absolutely the profession for me. Um, and then I just kind of kept taking opportunities to learn about it more, to watch others doing the profession, to see how it impacted different consumers and, and how they engaged in their occupational therapy sessions. Um, but sort of always knew that I was in love with the pediatric world because that's where I was first introduced. Um, when I got out of school, I took some pediatric jobs. Um, I worked in school-based, I worked in outpatient, um, and I did early intervention. And I kind of traveled all over, um, working in California and North Carolina, um, and then coming back home to, to Pennsylvania, um, getting the, the great opportunity to work at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh um, and some of the other places here while I was in law school. After graduating from law school, I was in Mercer County, which is a rural county where my husband grew up, and uh, really started to recognize that rural areas didn't have the same same access to care that I was used to in the cities that I was living in. Um, and so that's when we decided to open our own uh, private pediatric practice. So we've had that practice for going on 10 years now, and we have uh, OT, PT, and speech all at our outpatient center in, um, in Mercer County. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. I think all of us OT practitioners really have had at least one moment where we realize OT is what we want to do for the rest of our lives. And, and so much of it is tied to making an impact in, in someone else's life um, and helping them live their life to the fullest. I, I love that about OT. Um, and thank you for also kind of painting a picture of your, your professional practice and, and professional experience. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us, um, Allison, with your capable kids work and Arame a, a with your work at USC? Sure. So I have the great opportunity to um, to own Capable Kids and um, as well as be on faculty at the University of Pittsburgh and really having that sort of dual dual life or dual roles has been incredible um, because it's been able to allow me to bring some innovation and some opportunity to capable kids that I don't know that I would have had without my connection and, and my faculty position at the University of Pittsburgh. What we started to recognize at Capable Kids was that working with the child, you can um, have a lot of gains in an individual's life. 
uh, together. But if you're sending that child home and the family doesn't have an experience of wellness, that can only go so far. And so we really started to look for ways to integrate family-based care. What we discovered is when you uh, work with a family and see incredible gains in their wellness experience, it's um, incredibly rewarding, except that if we're sending them home to a community that isn't experiencing wellness, then again, they really have a limitation in how far they can can take their own recovery and wellness experience. So we actually then created uh, Capable Families, which is a nonprofit. And in this nonprofit, we've been able to create some really innovative programming and find grant funding to do things like um, trauma informed occupational therapy, um, occupational therapy, and um, counseling as a co treatment for the for the intervention of children who've experienced sexual trauma. We've been able to trial some, some really unique uh, places in where we can implement therapy. And we've been really able to go across the whole spectrum, um, really getting into some of that prevention type medicine and working uh, with the community uh, in different, different ways where they are. And so, um, you know, I say we're a pediatric clinic, but we're we're sort of a, a community place where you can go to receive your intervention or to meet your new best friend or to just figure out how to sign up for Medicaid benefits. That's amazing. I, I love that focus of of your work there. And thank you for catching us up on, on what you've been up to. And uh, same question to you, Arame. Uh, can you get us up to date with uh, with your current work at USC? First of all, I love that, Allison. Oh, oh, right up my alley. Um, but yeah, USC, you know, I came there um, as the director of admissions. And one of my main goals was to really look at um, admissions holistically. And that's what I did. I created, established, developed holistic admissions at USC. And um, due to what I established, um, USC has had the most diverse cohort ever in history the last three years in a row. And in the whole entire country, it, it uh, hopefully um, is really getting more and more um, um, focused on the power of holistic admissions from a lot of the work that I've been spreading and the changes and really looking at, you know, how do we become gate openers versus gatekeepers, right? And how do we decrease barriers and increase access in any setting that we are in right now? And in my setting in particular was admissions, you know? I'm also an associate professor at USC, um, but mainly one of the things was really looking at how do you make education, our OT education, um, accessible? How do you make it affordable also? And how do you make sure that we admit um, students, people who are interested, who will be, you know, the type of practitioners that we want to see? And how do we increase representation to um, decrease um, health disparities in our communities, right? And we do this through the the beginning, the, the, the first, which is admissions, right? And who is becoming OTs and OTAs. And so my work is really driven and rooted in um, JEDI, justice, equity, um, diversity, inclusion, anti-racism, anti-oppression. And it is really looking at how do you decrease systemic barriers 
in the academic setting. And and one way of doing that is being intentional about your recruitment, being intentional about transmissions, and being intentional about the pedagogy that you're teaching students so that it is also inclusive and equitable and all the things I just mentioned. So holistic admissions um, is still happening at USC, and I am um, starting to teach a few new classes that I'm really excited about developing. So new things coming my way. And um, yeah, so that's a little bit of the work at USC. Pathways. I've created pathways, um, summer institutes, um, opportunities to build bridges um, with the communities that we want to see um, being represented in our profession even more. So yeah, that's that. <laughs> you both have done so much uh, to make an impact in in your clients' lives and in the lives of people that you work with, um, and now you have this opportunity to make an impact in our professional organization um, and in the entire field of occupational therapy. Uh, what what really motivated you to run for and, and take on uh, these leadership positions of AOTA president and vice president? Sure, I'll go first on this one. Um, to be honest, I find that occupational therapy is one of those passions that um, when you join this, this community, our professional community, I think we're just different. Um, a lot of people work jobs and a lot of people have careers that they love, but occupational therapy is a profession that is a passion. Um, and so I think the excitement that, that I have over this profession and all the incredible ways that we can really create change, opportunity, equity, inclusiveness for not just, not just those that that are directly in, in intervention or consumer of our services, but, but like what Arame is doing in, in the higher ed academia and what we're seeing happening with some of the other uh, professionals like Deborah Young, who's working in, in government and creating policies at a state level to look at safety um, and emergency preparedness. I think that, that occupational therapy is the solution for all the issues and problems and experiences that um, not just individuals are facing, but populations and, and countries are facing. And so I wanted to be a part of the, um, the excited and the meaningful message that is our distinct value. And, you know, the other piece of it is that we have been led by incredible individuals in this profession, and they were articulate. They were brilliant, they were experienced, um, and they really helped to continuously catapult this profession over the past 100 plus years. And this is a legacy that I thought we need to continue to build on. I'm a firm believer that we need to really understand, um, appreciate, and respect our past um, in order to really become competent and valuable in our present so that we can empower our future. And it was it was this idea of how do we blend the past, the present, and look forward to our future of this profession to make sure that the value that we have is really engaged in a way that's meaningful and can, can produce recovery and wellness for, for everyone. And that excitement is what really made me think, I want to move forward. I want to be a part of this conversation. I want to be a part of this profession. I want to be a part of 
articulating this distinct value to just about anybody who's not even just willing to listen, but but in the proximity that they can hear my voice. Mm. That's powerful, Allison. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. All that and more. Um, absolutely. To piggyback off of that, you know, what motivated me to run and take on this leadership position, I totally agree with Allison, but also, you know, I believe in walking the talk. And I believe, I truly, to my core, believe in being the change that you want to see. And so a little good trouble never hurts, you know, but I also wanted to be able to inspire others to believe and see themselves in these positions where it's not just a seat at the table, but you're pulling up, you know, you're pulling up to make sure that your lived experience, your voice is represented, which is so valuable and critical in the progress that we want to see in the profession and within the association. So what motivated me was opportunity to really create change. I mean, we know that associations, just like institutions, just like anything, there's systems within systems within systems, and those systems have barriers and they're hard to break. But when you have good intention to really see change and be part of that change and that process, because it's a process, um, then that's where the motivation comes from and to inspire others that they too can be that change. So hopefully I've done that. And hopefully there's going to be tons of other people who say, I see myself being the president of AOTA. I see myself being the vice president. Even if you don't, that's okay. Because there's other opportunities where leadership can be taken. Um, And so that's just really part of the story and the journey. Absolutely. I can feel how how passionate and how genuine you both are um, in wanting to propel our, our profession forward. And um, it's really encouraging and inspiring to me as a, a young practitioner to to hear this straight from you. Um, so so thank you so much. I want to kind of catch us up to to what some of your priorities and and your goals are. How how long will you be serving as president and and vice president? How long is your term for? Well, my term is three years. I've already served one under Wendy President President Hilda Rand. And now I'm starting my second one under President Stover. So, and then Alice and I believe yours is just started. So I guess she can tell her yours. Yeah. So I served a year as president-elect under President Hildebrand. And then this year, July 1st, started the beginning of my three-year term. So um, I will be serving in this role for three years with the last year having the new president-elect working with me. How are you feeling since being elected? I know you've already had time to really come into your role and and start making an impact. Uh, What what impacts are you hoping to make currently in our profession? Wow, Matt, that's quite a question. (laughs) Um, You know, I am feeling excited. I'm feeling ready. I'm feeling eager. I think that we have some incredible, I I think that the entire board is made up of incredible, action-oriented, authentic, sincere members of the occupational therapy community, and that excites me. I started out my my journey in in the state association, like many of us did, um, that are that are in leadership in AOTA, and then I, I moved up through um, the special interest sections and some of the other opportunities at AOTA. And when I was in the special interest section, 
we still had the administration and management special interest section, or what we called AMSIS. And, you know, watching and seeing the, the real implementation of what the changed structure to the SISs looks like in, in real time and practice, seeing what um, some of the new and developing communities of practice look like, um, having the opportunity to really um, see what some of the changes have led to as far as practice discussions and opportunities to have listening sessions and synchronous uh, discussions has been really, really exciting. And I think what I, I really want to um, achieve is that way to ensure that we are continuing to propel forward, that where we make the changes, we're making the right changes, that it's finding ways to engage this entire community. Um, it's finding ways to have this community experience the support and the um, expertise of one another so that, again, we recognize that we don't ever have to solve a problem on our own. We don't ever have to identify a solution or, or try to create the, the right pathway on our own. But as a community, we are incredibly strong um, and that I really hope that we can continue to look for ways that we can build on areas that we were already strong. So how do we take our state associations? How do we take our SISs, our communities of practice, um, the RA? How do we take those places and continue to enhance um, the representation of all voices and the support for the profession? Um, how do we build new opportunities for that? How do we make sure that incoming students are as excited as Arame and I were when we got into OT schools? How do we make sure that when our tenure is done, that again, the new leadership that's rolling in um, has the same passion uh, for our very, very important distinct value? And how do we make sure that we are continuously assessing where we are and not just remaining relevant, but becoming that piece of the puzzle that no one wants to forget. And so I think that's what I'm really excited about. How are we learning from the past, keeping what works, changing what we need to do for the now, and, and using all of that to empower our future to be the vital um, and impressive profession that we are? I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, um, Allison. Uh, Arame, same same question to you. Kind of how how have you been feeling? What what impact are you hoping uh, also to to make in our profession? Yeah, um, it's it's a very big question. You know, um, here's the thing: you can't see me, but I am currently breastfeeding my child, doing this podcast. You know, and you may hear him in a little bit. It's this this realness, right? And Allison spoke to a little bit of it in her answer about this authenticity that we are people, we are part of the community, and the community as a whole and what we're serving is we're serving our community. Right. And so my intention is always to be representative of the people, you know? And so what that comes is my impact and my goal. And my, my hope is that we can, um, continue to expand diversity and representation at the leadership level, be action-oriented, right? And what that looks like is really breaking down the barriers for change, good change, 
um, what transparency and governance really looks like and and um, engaging membership to be parts of these processes, these, these big, important processes that will lead the future of our association and profession, right? And so um, those are some of the impacts that I really look forward to in this, you know, the term is three years, so in this term. Um, and, and so... The profession, though, the profession, um, now that's a legacy question. That's an impact question. But my whole goal is always to pay it forward and to uplift the next person um, behind me, the side of me, in front of me, so that we can hand in hand make sure that all people, communities, and populations have quality health care and lives, right? And so that's very important to me. And it's very important in how we go about that process. And that is through um, equity, that's through diversity, that's through inclusion, that's through justice, that's through anti-racism, that's through anti-oppression. And those are the ways that we start making true impact and change for all people. So, but within the within the um, association, I think I answered already a few of the things that I hope to make impact in. You know, Matt, it's, it's interesting because there's a conversation that, that Arame and I always have that I... I think this is a great place for us to share the conversation. And that's the idea that we're real people, right? Like Arane um, comes into her vice presidency as a brand new mom. Like she told you, she's breastfeeding right now. She moved last week, right? She um, she's, in, she, she's in faculty and doing admissions at USC, right? She's a wife. I mean, I remember texting her one point and saying, oh, my goodness, my daughter's volleyball game got moved. Can we switch our meeting? And she's like, yeah, no problem. Right. Or she'd say, oh, the baby's not feeling well. Can we bump it up a half an hour or I can only be on for 20 minutes? I think we really want um, our community to see that you don't have to be at certain period in your life. You don't have to feel like um, you've got nothing else going on. I've got a 13-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old son entering his senior year of high school. Um, I've got a father who's got some early cognitive impairment and a mom who could really use support in his care. I've got nieces and nephews that I adore. Um, I've got friends that I like to see. I enjoy traveling, right? This role, this leadership, this volunteering for our profession doesn't require you to look a certain way. We can, and, and we don't have to exhaust ourselves. We should be the masters of occupational balance. We can be leaders and take, take the time to do leadership, and then we can be leaders who are also taking the time to, to be a mom, to, to be a significant other, to be an aunt, to be a friend. I, I love that. It's you know, the, the best way to enhance and elevate our field as occupational therapy in a way is participating and performing our own personal occupations um, and, and taking the time to do so. Allison, you've mentioned uh, the priorities for the coming year and beyond, um, including interprofessional collaboration, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, and reinvention in your inaugural address. I wanted to talk a little bit more about these priorities for uh, your time as, as president and vice president. Um, what can you tell us about how these priorities are so important and how you recommend practitioners can begin to emphasize and apply them more to their day-to-day -day responsibilities? Wow. This is, Matt, you've got great questions. Whew. Um, you should take over Barbara Walters' role. Um, so, it's a high compliment. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, 
you know, thinking about this, when I when I was thinking through some of these um, priorities, one of the things that I thought was really important is to recognize that I don't promote these priorities as, hey, this is something that um, I know that I do or can do really well. I see these as areas of strength um, and areas that really represent the distinct value of occupational therapy and also areas that seem to have limited knowledge um, outside of our community. I believe that the interprofessional collaboration between the occupational therapist and the occupational therapy assistant is by far the most powerful partnership in all of healthcare, public health, and even the legal world. I believe that there is really no no mountain that the OTA and OT cannot climb together. It is a collaborative relationship that does not have a hierarchical component to it. And that makes it unbreakable and powerful. And so I believe that as, as practitioners, what we need to do is we need to identify ways that we are being intentional about being a part of those interprofessional collaborations and that we are telling the world about the success of those interprofessional collaborations, that we are looking for opportunities to be an OT, OTA team, and that we are really relying on one another to do the profession in perfection. It requires all of us to do that profession in perfection. Um, likewise, it requires the scientist, the student, the educator, right? We can't learn how to do the, the profession or what to do within the profession without each of these members. And so I don't I don't say it's a priority because I'm I'm knocking it out of the park. I say it's a priority because the profession can knock it out of the park with these collaborations. I I really look to Arame to talk about the DEI and Jay a priority because she is someone that I look to daily for inspiration, expertise, and, and knowledge growth among others in this field. Um, so I'll, I'll let her talk a little bit more about, about the DEIJ piece of, of the priorities. Absolutely. Arame, you are in fact the first African-American and Iranian person to run for the, the position and the be elected. You're also a, a co-founder of the Coalition of Occupational Therapy Advocates for Diversity. Um, can you go ahead and talk to us about why diversity and inclusion are, are so important to occupational therapy? I mean, sure. I think diversity and inclusion is important to everything we do, right? Not just OT. And so for me, diversity and inclusion is not just a thing, right? Because it's it's cool to say now, because it's like, what people are focused on at this moment, but it's a lifestyle, right? It's the way of life. It's where I'm, it's where I'm rooted in it. And we want to make sure that it's present throughout our field so that we can't just be one dimensional and performative when we discuss this topic. And that's just, you know, because diversity, equity, inclusion, I would say I'm beyond that, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion, justice. You can't say those things without addressing anti-racism and anti-oppression in this country and in, in, in communities and in, in, in how it impacts healthcare and the disparities that people see in marginalized and minoritized communities, right? So why it's so important that we address it in occupational therapy is that, you know, we, 
Vision 2025 has a whole piece of being able to, <laughs> that all people, populations and communities will have like quality health care, we have quality of life. And how do we ensure that is that we must in, in our schools, in how we practice, in the communities that we serve, this must be woven. This must be the root. This must be the foundation. It can't just be threaded here and there. It must be the foundation of how we embed our pedagogy. How is it taught? Who's teaching it? What are we reading? You know, what are we looking at in practice? How, how are we working with our clients? Um, how are we embedding cultural humility? And that's just one example, right? And, and how are we making sure that we're serving our community so that um, we can see um, more health equity, right? And so de diversity and inclusion is is deep, it's deep rooted. It's not attached, it's a task force. It's it's not just because it's the thing to do. It's not because some people are upset and they want to see it. It's what we must do to ensure that um, we are what we what we say we are. We are our core values of our profession. We are holistic um, and we're treating people as whole, right? And so um, for me, um, that's how we ensure it. That's wh why we ensure it. Um, it must start off in, in how we're intentionally recruiting our students. It must be in the, in all throughout curriculum. It must be in admissions processes. It must be when you graduate, it must be in field work. I mean, it, it is, it is rooted through, um, if you understand what I'm saying, man, and that's where we start seeing some change and that's how we can start becoming a profession that truly is um, is part of um, the progress in health equity. I love that. Yeah. That, thank you so much. I want to ask um, both of you, what are some action steps or some first steps that, that an OT practitioner could take um, to, to be more intentional with uh, both their intrapprofessional collaboration and also their diversity and inclusion in, in their practice? What are some things you would recommend to the everyday practitioner? Do you want to go first, Arame? Oh, sure, I can go. I can go first. Um, thank you. I mean, the everyday practitioner, you know, it, it, it's being aware, first of all, of what your impact is. I say each person should really understand what their impact is, what their influence is, what their what their what their um, legacy is, right? So that's really what you have to stick to, those core values. And and if you really understand that and really what is this impact that you want to make in your community and, and the clients that you serve, then you're able to really say, okay, well, I want to make sure that my, I'm just going to give this example of culture and humility, right? That I'm going to be practicing in within culture humility always. I'm always going to try to reflect and have this lifelong journey of, of being driven and led by remaining culturally humble. And that is one thing that you can do as a student, you know, when you're working with your classmates and peers and, and then as a practitioner, when you're working with your colleagues, you know, and then also in the communities that you're in, you know, how do I always remain in this, this very kind of humble mindset so that um, I can I can be connected, right? It's all about how it, this profession is about connection. This profession is about how we can get down and be on someone's level. This connect this is about how are we building our rapport and and starting with you know understanding cultural humility versus cultural competence. Competence is just a one thing, right? It's a it's a checklist. It's when you're remaining in cultural humility, you are on, like I said, this lifelong journey of reflection, right? And so 
um, that's just simply one thing that you can do all across throughout your journey of becoming OT, becoming OTA, and um, and all throughout your career. Um, I think you just said, I think, Matt, you said one thing. I could go on and on with this answer. Um, you know, I, I think the intraprofessional is, is key as well. This piece of this building relationship again, this this building network um, and how are you working um, with each other um, to accomplish your goals, right? And so it's, again, being in this being rooted in in relationship, being rooted in community will always help with this interprofessional collaboration and this DEIJ work, you know, is, is this community and solidarity. Um, so those are just, I guess, foundational things. And one tangible thing is really pra- trying to practice, you know, cultural humility. I love that. Thank you so much, um, Arame. That importance of connection, it's it really is key to everything we do as as occupational therapy um, practitioners um, is making that connection and then uh, going from there to to show our value in, in intervention and, and and outcomes with with the people we work with. And if I can add one more piece to that, I think if anything that we've learned throughout COVID and even social unrest is that like we are human, and I think Allison spoke to that too. Like we are human, you know, like family first, but. Um, this sense of this humanitarianism and community and compassion, like we as occupational therapists and this profession, you know, practitioners and students and leaders, scientists, we should be in the forefront. We should be driving this message, right? And that message is rooted in being diverse, being equitable, being inclusive, being having, you know, this justice idea and, and and that's who we are at our at our core of our profession and so um it's really important to remember that um as as we're building relationship um as we're becoming even more compassionate we should have learned that kind of human peace even more coming through this pandemic and i feel like ot is 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 front and center in in showing the world <laughs> showing the world what this work is truly about. I love that so much. Thank you, Arame. That's uh, encouraging. That's inspiring. And and yes, let's let's show the world. Let's take those steps. Thank you so much. Um, and and Allison, same uh, to you. What are some some action steps, some recommendations for the day to day practitioner to um, begin um, applying some of those those principles of intraprofessional collaboration? Yeah. So, you know, I didn't talk about the the third priority we had mentioned, which was reinvention. And reinvention really requires us to assess where we are, to take a look at our past, to continue to move forward the strengths of our past, to address the needs of the present and ensure that we are empowering and staying relevant for the future. Right. So it's almost like a quality improvement project, but it's it's on a profession and on ourselves. Um, every day. And so I think about interprofessionalism um, as a practitioner, what are some ways that I can reinvent right away how I perform my interprofessional practice and ensure that I'm really promoting the value of that practice? And so 
I would say seek out members of our community that represent a different type of professional than you are. If you are an OT, then um, look for an OTA, whether at your place of employment, maybe you connect with them on Commune OT, maybe um, you meet at a practice chat that's held by one of the SISs, uh, perhaps you're volunteering together uh, for some type of advocacy event with your state association. Um, OT, OTA, find, find a way to connect and find a way to just have even something simple like a um, a shared experience with a lit with a, with a research article. Maybe you have a once a month meetup where you you talk about a research article, or you even discuss cases together and try to problem solve. Um, if you are an OTA and you haven't really had the experience to interact with the science community, then take a look at some of the research going on and, and apply to be the interventionist in that research. Um, have those conversations with the scientists um, and, and, and seek it out. And then, you know, if, if you are an educator or, or maybe you're a practitioner, maybe you give a guest lecture and you interact with the educators. You listen to where they feel that their students are struggling, um, where the competency is just hard to teach, and then find a way to bring your, your everyday practice to those students. Um, I just, I think the first step is reach out to the professional that, that isn't of your representation and find a way to just communicate regularly. Uh, even if it's just talking about the stresses of being a member of this community. As occupational therapy uh, professionals, I find that we are not just physically exhausted at the end of our days, but we're often mentally and emotionally exhausted. Look, we're, we're working with consumers at a, at a person level, an occupation level, uh, a participation level, and an environment level. That's complex to all of our systems, and it's exhausting. And when I look at the questions in an occupational profile, we are often carrying the same weight of our clients and consumers, but we're not just carrying the weight of one consumer. We're carrying the weight of all of our consumers because there's no way to authentically intervene to help someone truly participate if you're not becoming involved and a part of their narrative. Right. And so we're carrying so many narratives, including our own. And so maybe it's just meeting up with one of those professionals and sharing how difficult it can be to, to have so many narratives be a part of your own narrative. Right. Um, so so go out, meet them, meet them on community, meet them in your place of employment. Stop in at a continuing ed event at a school or reach out to a researcher who's who's performing a study, find ways to, to interact or, or meet them in your state associations, at a conference, or, or maybe in a, in a practice chat from the SISs. I think there's many opportunities for us to meet. Take the opportunity to form some individual relationships. Like Arame said, this profession is about connection. And the best way to really um, build that interprofessional collaboration is to connect with interprofessionals. And I also think that when we connect in this level, in this very individualized narrative level, we will find ways to build our diverse experiences, to become more inclusive,
to understand how we may have been inequitable in the past, because every time we hear or learn a new narrative of someone else's lived experience, it changes us. And we find out something. We, we don't know what we don't know until we don't know it. And so we've got to talk to others and find out what it is that we don't know. And I think that's something simple and rewarding um, and, and can really actually build balance into our lives while also promoting that idea of reinvention. We're learning from one another. Um, we're learning about the past. We're learning and hearing the narratives of the future. And we are thinking about what are, are the narratives of the present. And we're, we're thinking about what is that all going to mean for our future? That's so well put. Thank you for sharing that, um, Allison, and, and you too, Arame. Um, I, I think you've both given us uh, so many recommendations and, and actionable steps. Um, before I move on to the conclusion, is there, there anything else you'd like to tell us about um, what individual practitioners can do to, to support uh, you know, the profession and systemic change within the profession? Yeah, I think that you know, be a member and be a member who's, who's ready to ready to help ready to talk ready to share their experiences be a member of your state association be a member of aota uh, show up at practice chats that the sis holds show up at uh, state association events uh, come to conference present at conferences volunteer where you feel the call um, just be present be engaged um, so that that we can ensure that this profession is moving forward with, with your voice. Find those, those opportunities um, that you grow your knowledge, but also find those opportunities that you share your knowledge because there is not a member of this community, whether the student who is even pre-OT interested to the practitioner who's been in retirement for 20 years, we all have something to share. We all have some form of learning that we can bring to other people. And our narratives are our most important and most valuable component of this profession. So, so be a member, participate as a member, your state association, AOTA, and, and make it a point to share your narrative because we need to hear it. Top of that, I also uh, think your your question specifically asking about how do you what individuals can do to support systemic change, right? And so it's really important also besides membership, it's to understand, and it doesn't have to be just AOTA. It could be you know any any system we're talking about, right? And that may even be systems that you're within other systems within OT. Understand the strategic plan, understand the core values, understand, you know, what the uh, system or the organization or whatnot goals are in the next three to five years. And your role is to be able to strategically hold them accountable if you don't see um, any goals or any action steps um, happening towards accomplishing that, right? You know, the strategic plan, strategic plan should really be something that important to know if you want to start supporting systemic change, right? And so by being engaged, like Allison said, by being um, involved, by building a sense of community, by participating, it will help you um, um, lock arms 
to um, be very strategic in how you um, support systemic change um, um, through understanding, you know, what is, what are the goals of those associations or organizations or, or any system, right? And that's, that's a, a, a grassroots way of really looking at systemic change happening, right? And not just um, talking about it, but really, really seeing through seeing the change actually come to fruition, if that makes sense, Matt. <laughs> I know we're running uh, short on time, so I won't talk too much about it, but I, I always can talk about this. <laughs> I, I think we're going to have to have more interviews with both of you because uh, there's there's so much for me and, and all of our listeners to learn, I'm sure. Okay, I'm going to hit you both with a double-barreled question. I think that's going to make it a quadruple-barreled question um, because there's two of you now. What, what do you hope your legacy will be? And, and what do you think AOTA is really going to look like within the next three to five years? Do you want me to go, Allison? <laughs> yeah, you, you can take this one first. Okay, and then you finish this. I'm going to pass. I'm going to throw the baton to you. Ali, you, you and the slam dunk it, Allison. <laughs> my basketball reference for any of those. I love basketball. So, okay, um, legacy, legacy, legacy. Okay, Matt, I'm a true believer in legacy, right? And if you're asking me legacy for EOTA, that I inspired a wave I mean, of future leaders to be the change that they want to see. Right to pull up to the table, to not just complain, right to 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 really roll up the sleeves to see the change, to create it, to be it, you know. Um, and for me, the legacy that that I was fearless in that, right? That I'm not just a figurehead or a token per se, but um, that I was fearless in 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 being the change that I want to see, to walk the talk, and to put myself bravely and boldly in situations that could be risky, right? But because of the belief in change, the true belief of systemic change, that that others will be inspired to believe that they too have the power and be empowered to create movements for good change, right? And I think your your second piece of the question, if I can recall, is this idea of what IOTA looks like in the next three to five years. My goodness, excuse me, the mom brain is real. You know, that we have a transparent association that leans in with the people. It's all about the people. Our, I guess our theme today has been about community, the people, and I'm really really uh, community driven and you know where members are part of the process and they're engaged in how AOTA evolves how it's molded how it's shaped where people know who their leaders are and, and who and how the association is ran right and, and I believe with Allison and my leadership and also with the incredible board that we have incredible staff like Allison was talking about and leadership that that we will transition into being just that and I feel excited about that I feel excited about hopefully that the, this this that within three years that I in my legacy and what I envision three to five years at AOT like like could be part of that wave of change, of really um, being a voice for the people and and memberships really feeling connected and part of process. That's wonderful and a, a wonderful message. Thank you, Arame. Allison, um, it's all you now. Allison, it's all you. Go ahead, Allison. Well, I feel like you knocked it out of the park. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, thank you. Um, yeah, man, I just listening to Arame, I never cease to to not feel inspired. So um, 
Whew, give me a minute. All right. Right back at you, Allison. Right back at you. <laughs> you know, um, legacy, I'm not really sure. I feel funny saying my legacy. Um, I don't I don't know that that the legacy that I want to exist long after I'm gone is that um, occupational therapy and the distinct value of occupational therapy is the most meaningful way for an individual, a population, a community, a country, a world to achieve wellness, whether it is through prevention, intervention, um, or, or maintenance care. I want the legacy to be that occupational therapy's distinct value is something that is so profoundly understood by all individuals that we no longer have the question of what is occupational therapy or what are the things that you do or can't do, or I had no idea that, that you could help to this way, or I, how come getting to you is so difficult? Um, I want the legacy to be that everyone starts saying, um, man, I am so grateful that I had the opportunity to have an intersection with occupational therapy. I think what does AOTA look like in the next three to five years? You know, Rosa Parks has this incredible, um, incredible quote where she says, I've learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear. Knowing what must be done does away with fear. And I, I hope that AOTA in the next three to five years looks like uh, um, the professional association and the representation of occupational therapy that really focuses on what we've learned over the years and that we really find a way to, to know what must be done and to start to do it without fear to move forward with a loud voice, to be willing to um, engage in the conversations as a collaborator, but also someone who's ready to, as Arame said, make a little good trouble um, in those collaborations. And I think that we have uh, the incredible volunteers uh, without and throughout the association. We have a brilliant staff who is really committed to the association. Um, and we have membership that uh, really wants to see the change that they know we can do and has innovative ideas that build on a hundred plus years of incredible work. And so in the next three to five years, um, I, I think AOTA looks like the association that is finally speaking the loud, loud message that occupational therapy has had since the very beginning. Wow, uh, Alison Arame, if you could see the smile that I have on my face right now, your messages are so enlightening and so inspiring. Thank you so much again for your time today, for sharing all this with me and, and with our listeners. Um, I have just one last question. I call this our golden nugget segment. I ask this of all our guests on the show. Um, your visions are so amazing for AOTA and for our profession. Um, if, if you could give our listeners just one piece of advice or ask them to do one thing, what would it be? I'm going to say two. One is I'm going to say make mistakes. 
we will never learn. We won't, we won't know. We can't go forward if we're too afraid to make mistakes. So make mistakes, embrace those mistakes and make them often, and then tell everybody about them so that we can learn from one another's mistakes. Um, be proud of your mistakes and be proud of the lessons you've learned from them. And, and the other thing that I would say, the golden nugget I would say is to, to remember another quote, I love my quotes, a quote from Indira Gandhi um, was that you cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. So while we make our mistakes, let's have the grace for one another to hear about these mistakes and celebrate them together, uh, to be a community and to remember that we cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. I love that. Thank you, Allison. And uh, Rame, can you bring us home with, uh, with a golden nugget? <laughs> sure, I'll bring you home. Um, first of all, Matt, thank you so much for having us. And it's, been, it's really been a pleasure. But my golden nugget, and I think I've said this golden nugget throughout, because I really believe it, is you, you, must, you must be the change that you want to see. And be fearless with that, right? Be fearless with that, because at the end of the day, the power is in the people. And um, if we want to see change, we must be that. So that's my golden nugget is be fearless in knowing that you are part of the change that you want to see. And I should be a testament to that. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Thank you both so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you, getting to know you and, and learning for you from you. Um, so I really appreciate um, your time. Thanks, well, thanks Matt. Matt. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the AOTA podcast. Tune in again next time.